following program is produced by the Align in the Sound team. If you like what you hear, please stick around at the end of the show. To find out more, contact us and contribute towards a positive future. Good morning. You are listening to Scotty Foster and Zena Richardson, your host today with Behind the Lines on 2XX Community Radio 98.3 FM in Canberra. We're going to be talking live via phone with playwright, producer and activist Michael Gray Griffith from Cafe Locked Out, along with veteran, uh, former veteran Qantas pilot and Captain Graham Hood, who will be joining us live via phone. And they're going to be giving us an update on what's really been happening with the convoy to Canberra and the freedom protest that is currently taking place at Old Parliament House. There's a lot going on down at the uh, camp outside Old Parliament House. We have Michael Gray Griffith, and Michael is a playwright, producer and activist. He's also the co-host of Cafe Locked Out. And Michael's going to be talking to us about his journey to creating Cafe Locked Out, uh, what's going on today and what we can um, learn about the Freedom Convoy to Canberra and the situation happening currently at Old Parliament House. We are hoping to have Graham Hood join us via phone phone as well. Uh, But unfortunately, Graham is on the road and that may not be possible. So just bear with us this morning. It may be a bit of uh, doing the show on the fly. So welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you for taking the time. Graham just called me, so if you give him a buzz, he might pick up. Right. um, Is he able to call us on the studio line? Uh, I can't get off this call if I get Okay, all right. Uh, unfortunately, um, we may not be able to call him on the studio line. He'll have to call us. We'll see what we can do. But while we've got you on, on air here, Michael, um, would you be able to give us a little bit of background about um, what you were doing before or the world went to hell in a handbag? Yeah, I had a theatre company called The Wolves Theatre Company. I was a playwright and um, uh, I was an independent um uh, theatre maker, and uh, we were living off it without grants. We, we, it was actually our living, paying actors equity rates and all this. We were we were quite successful, and um, we're on the verge of uh, Bruce Beresford, the the uh, director of Driving Miss Daisy and Puberty Blues and all that was going to direct yes, one of our plays. Yes, famous so director. We're on yeah. the verge of some real success, and then I started doing rants about what was happening, especially the erosion of freedoms, and I got told basically by the art community. Uh, that if I didn't shut up, I, I could probably uh, kiss my art career goodbye. And then when I saw uh, New South Wales was uh, announcing segregation, I announced to the world that my company wouldn't play to segregated audiences. Uh, and then a lot of the theatre world was actually saying that I had mental issues <laughs> and needed psychological testing. And, uh, and then that evening I set up a thing called Cafe Lockdown where I basically defend for speech by uh, talking for one hour every night. We did that for about 80 shows and uh, until we got banned for a week. And now I'm uh, an active part of the resistance and uh, I might have to go because the police are here. Right. So I believe Cafe Lockdown used to be called Cafe Locked Down uh, during yeah. the lockdowns. And that was sort I was of... locked down because I was locked down, but then it became <laughs> locked out. But Look, the police are here. Today, uh, the police are basically, one is gone, I think. They kicked us out of the camp, so I'm going to have to go on, sorry, and have a chat. That, that's all right. I believe we've got... Uh, little group. Uh, yeah. That's all right. Well, feel free to call back. We do. I believe we do have Graham on uh, the line. So thank you, okay. Michael. I understand your situation completely. All the best. 
All right there. So um, we did expect that that might happen during the call. So we do apologise to our listeners. Uh, Michael will try and get back to us if he can, but he is in a very uh, challenging situation right now down at Old Parliament House. But I believe we do have uh, Graham Hood joining us via phone. Uh, Graham, have you um, got clear line there with us? Yeah, I think. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes, that's that's wonderful. Thank you for calling. And unfortunately, I don't know if you heard, but we just lost Michael. Um, he's having quite a challenging situation uh, at the protest site right now at Old Parliament House, and he had to drop out of the call. Uh, he will call okay. back if he can. So we did start um, the interview just with a little bit of background on what got both of you to where you are today. I mean, you know, you're a, a veteran Qantas pilot. I think one of the longest serving workers they've had, you know, was sort of looking forward to a retirement that involved fishing and mowing the lawn and and here you are um you know front and center of um probably one of the better known uh freedom movements um that we've uh, got, got to get to know over the last six months so would you give us a little bit of background on on how you went from being a Qantas captain to where you are now Okay, first, who am I talking to? I'm sorry, I've just come in to... No, that's all right. I I wasn't sure how much information had been passed on to you. My name is Zena. I am one of the uh, co-producers and presenters of the show, and my colleague here, his name is Scotty. Zena and Scotty. Okay, thanks thanks for having me on. Um, I haven't heard what's happening with Michael at the moment, so I'm not aware of the situation there. Um, Yeah, I I have... uh, I I was enjoying a pretty, pretty illustrious career, I guess, in aviation. Uh, a lot of the cards fell in my favour as I, I grew up as a, a 13... As, sorry, I left school when I was 13, stopped attending school at 13, and uh, my dream was to fly, and I ended up living into that dream to retire a uh, pretty senior in Qantas, probably one of the longest-serving 737 captains I had, uh, 32 years in command. I was looking forward to a, a life of retirement. Uh, had another year or two I wanted to work uh, to get a few things finished, and um, then... Uh, COVID-19 hit and uh, things were looking fairly drastic in lots of different ways and um, it looked as though vaccines were going to be the way out. Um, there was, It looked as though a mandate was going to be made for Qantas staff. I don't like mandates uh, on anything. I think if anything's good for you, you should be able to accept it of your own free will without being ordered to take it. But I realised that, you know, I want to keep flying and uh, maybe this is a good thing. So... Um, I'd previously given the, a nursing home permission to give my mum Pfizer, uh, which she had, and uh, and I thought, yeah, that's a, no worries. I won't get AstraZeneca, but I'll take Pfizer. Um, and I told my boss, look, I'm not getting AstraZeneca, but if there's any way you can get me a Pfizer jab, I'll get that. And he said, no worries, I'll let you know when we roll them out. And then I thought I'd better have a look at it. I'd better see what's in it. And I started, with, uh, I started with mainstream media. I went to Four Corners on the ABC. I'd always... I used to trust Four, Four Corners and the ABC. And there was a, a program on Four Corners called Vaccinating Australia. And uh, there was a freedom of information request for the vaccine rollout policy by uh, an independent senator. And when he was being interviewed and displayed the, uh, the document that he received under FOI, every page except the cover with Greg, Hunt, Greg Hunt's uh, name on it was completely redacted, every single piece of it. Nothing about what's in the jab, nothing about the testing, nothing about the policy. And then when he took it to Professor Brendan Murphy and said, why is this redacted? Professor Murphy, one of the highest paid uh, bureaucrats in the country, leaned back with a grin on his face and says, well, you have to realise we have very sensitive commercial arrangements with our supplier. 
So I found myself in a position, being told by the Prime Minister that I need to seek uh, information to be able to give informed consent. I found myself in a position of thinking, well, how can I give informed consent when I don't know what I'm putting in my body? And so uh, then I started asking questions of the Qantas uh, medical officer. Uh, can you tell me what the long-term side effects are? Can you tell me what the short-term side effects are? Knowing that they couldn't because nobody knows. And then I asked questions about what about the, uh, the likelihood of thrombosis in a high-altitude environment as it would affect pilots? Uh, is it safe for me to have it? I asked questions of the Civil Aviation Safety Authority. Can you guarantee that I will continue to pass my medical if I have this experimental vaccine? Can you guarantee that I will not have blood clots at high altitude? And I got no answer. Then I approached several doctors and I said, you know my situation, they're friends of mine. What do you think I should do? And three of them said to me, I wouldn't hurry into it if I were you, but don't tell anyone I told you. And then I asked, why wouldn't I tell anyone you told me? They said, because we'll get in trouble if we speak against the vaccine. So I'm, my whole life has been about risk-benefit analysis. And I started to smell a rat in the cheese factory. So from there, I became very sceptical. And now I find myself in this position where I, I saw the careers of many of my colleagues looking like they were going to go around the SBED because they wouldn't agree to a mandate for the same reasons I wouldn't. And because I was so senior, I felt I had to make a stand in order to protect what was left of their careers because um, because the way things are, um, in Australia, you know, people who fly aeroplanes and go nursing and people who are police and fireys and all that, ambulance operators, most of those are people who are living into their dream they had when they were five-year-old kids. And to have mandates destroy that dream without having the proper information to make informed consent just... It got me to a point where I made a rant video. I sent it out uh, very front, very upfront, telling uh, Qantas and the country why I thought this was wrong. Uh, that really video went uh, viral and had 7 million views within 24 hours around the world. And I have been bombarded with messages ever since of people saying, you're speaking for me. Can you keep speaking for me? And here I am. I put my fishing rods away. I put the tinny in the shed. I parked the mower and the grass is up around my waist. <laughs> and now I'm heading to Canberra to do this. It's something I never thought I'd do. Mm. And that's the thing. I think we can quote philosopher Joseph Campbell that says we must be willing to let go of the life we had planned in order to have the life that is waiting for us. And I think you would know yep. that almost more than anyone. So yep. with the, um, the situation in Canberra, like its origins were actually um, from Canada. So there was a, uh, a trucker's freedom convoy to Ottawa and Canada, and that's really what sparked all of the, the current um, action. Could you tell us a little bit about um, how this all started and, and how Australia picked up on that? Yeah, well, what's going on in in, uh, Canada was incredible. I mean, it it needed to happen here in Australia, but sadly it can't in Australia because our Australian government does nothing for small business. So most uh, truck companies, small truck operators, went out of business a long time ago and they've been overtaken by big corporations. So a lot of our truckies don't drive their trucks. They're driving for toll and some of the other big companies. Uh, The several that are remaining, of course, are... uh, driving the camera and getting that organised. But in Canada, that's a different situation. And we saw a peaceful grassroots movement start in Canada that's reverberating around the world. And two days ago, I heard a press conference by some of these truckies in Ottawa and uh, backed up by the police that there had been not one arrest, 
and not one injury in the whole protest. It was peaceful, it was powerful, and it was drawing people in like a magnet from all over North America. When we saw the capabilities of that here, we, we were all wondering, why can't we do that here? And I was I, I do a radio show myself on another radio network, uh, on an internet radio network, just started doing that. And I wanted to interview truckies to find out uh, what's going on in their industry because I've done a series on nurses and whistleblowers and all that sort of thing. And I found it hard to get any truckies who wanted to speak. And then somebody sent me a link to this thing that was starting in a couple of days, a truck convoy to Canberra. And I inquired through social media, was this really happening? And a lot of people saw that I was inquiring who follow me and they said, let's just go to Canberra. Let's go to Canberra. And I said, well, I don't know whether this is really happening. And when I found out that it looked like it was, I just thought, well, look, just me as, as Graham Hood, I'm just going to take my wife, Michelle, for a drive down to Canberra, see if it is happening, and treat it like I'm going to a truck show. And if there's a whole lot of trucks there, then I'll lend my support to it. And before I knew it, uh, within a couple of hours, thousands of people were telling me they were all coming to Canberra if, if I was going down there and, and not only me a lot of other people were getting grassroots um, uh, revolutions not revolutions it was a tsunami of everyday mums and dads who are at this moment on their way to Canberra from all parts of Australia so it's a real it is a mum and dad movement it's 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 a movement filled with people who've lost their jobs their homes their careers their aspirations and we're talking of something like 100,000 frontline workers who've lost their jobs at a time when we really need them. So, I, you know, I've been down there. Uh, I've been in a couple of the rallies. I, I set up a, a memorial service in front of the War Memorial on Monday morning last to commemorate the sacrifices made by our Aussie diggers and, um, and to apologise to them for the fact that when we say less, we forget every Anzac Day. It seems we forgot, and um, all our freedoms are being given away, freedoms that they died for. And, and then, I, then I went to the press club uh, rally and uh, got a chance to uh, vent my spleen, I guess, at Scott Morrison and Barnaby Joyce, which made me feel a bit better. Um, and it's been a beautiful, peaceful movement uh, up until now, and I had to leave to come back for surgery and bring my wife back, and... Um, when I saw what was happening after I left, I decided to postpone the surgery and drive straight back. So I'm mm. on my way back there now. Right. Now, you had a lovely um, story that you shared uh, online about a very good experience you had with a young police officer on, I think it was one of the first days of the camp there. Would you be willing yeah. to share that with us? Because that was that was really um, heartening to hear that. Yeah, you know, it was heartening to be part of it. Uh, we, um, we, were, we were standing in front of a line of police officers uh, at the side entrance to the press club and um, it was rumoured obviously that Scott Morrison would exit there because the police presence and the mainstream media had cameras set up there and we thought well we'll go there and um, I walked up to the line so that I was standing facing the Prime Minister as he drove out if you can imagine on the curve and there were the police officers were elbow to elbow all wearing their masks and there was a really big officer there and a couple of smaller ones alongside him and I, I stood close to them, and one of them said to me, uh, I need to get you to move back. And I said, with all due respect, I'm a citizen of Australia. I've come to my seat of government, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm standing right where I am. And he said, look, that's okay, but you won't come any closer, will you? I said, no, I won't. I'm quite happy here. And I said, I'm not here to cause you any trouble, but I'm an old bloke, and I want to see my prime minister. And he said, yeah, that's okay. Anyhow, 
how um, the uh, and John Larder, the paramedic who's been at the front line for quite a while, a, a guy who I have great admiration for, uh, came and stood with me, and we, we've sort of formed a bit of a brotherhood, he and I, and, and we get on really well. And we were standing in front of these officers and just looking around the crowd, and at one stage I saw people getting boisterous, and I was able to get a hold of a megaphone, and I called out to everybody to be calm and peaceful, not to push them to police lines, to show respect to the police and to each other, and let's keep it calm. I also said that when the Prime Minister comes out, when I say about face, everybody turn and face in the direction of the police are facing, which is with their backs to the Prime Minister, because I believe that's what we needed to do. And I said, when I say about face, everybody turn around. And uh, this officer was smiling, and then John and I had some banter about, um, about you know, what are we doing here? Two old guys, we're meant to be catching brim and mowing lawns. What on earth are we doing here at this stage of our life? And we laughed. And the, the officers recognised that we were both men in uniform. But John was a paramedic. He had his paramedic's cap on and I had my pilot shirt on. And there's a, there's a sort of a brethren between people in uniform, frontline people. And um, we had banter. And one of the other officers said to me, what was it like to fly a jet? And I told him. And he said, wow, that must be great. And, uh, and then somebody, uh, unbeknownst to anybody, drove down one of the side streets straight at the crowd in a four-wheel drive with a red ensign flying from the front. And this was obviously an angry um, an angry protester. And he screeched to a halt at the back of the crowd. And you could see the police tense up. And it was a very tense moment. And he sat there with the engine running, got out of his car and leaned up against the bull bar with his arms folded. And the police were very stressed about that. They looked at the crowd. I was stressed. I had my wife with me. I thought, what's going on here? And... Um, the young officer that I was interacting with leaned forward. He said, I'm here to protect you. And if this goes south, I'll do everything I can to protect you. But if I yell out, run, I want you and your wife to run beside that police van on the roadside and stand there. And I said, thank you. And I told my wife to go and stand there. And the police went over to this man and they got him to park his car and turn the engine off and they calmed the situation down and that was good. And a couple of senior sergeants inside the inner circle of the police corps were, were uh, pretty pretty tense about it. I saw a woman push one of the police officers and uh, or say something to him, and he pushed her. And the sergeant stepped out of the circle, put his hand on the police officer's chest and pushed him back into the circle and gave him a dressing down and told him to behave himself and replaced him at the front line with another officer. Those sorts of things were really looking good. Then... When the Prime Minister was about to come out, one of the officers leaned forward and said to me, if you stand there, when you do your about face, I'll move to one side so he can see what's written on the back of your shirt. And what's written on the back of my shirt is my 32-year experience as a Qantas captain. And I said, thank you. And that happened. And then after the Prime Minister drove out and we did our about face, uh, I went to do a radio interview on the sidewalk after everyone had gone. There were three or four of us standing there. The police had gone. And this young officer came up to me and shook my hand. And he said, I just wanted to tell you, you're a legend, mate. And I want to tell you that you're speaking for us. And keep doing the good work. Keep it up. And I was deeply touched. He shook my hand. And as he walked away, I yelled out, what's your name? And he told me. I won't name him for obvious reasons. And he looked back at me and he told me his name. And I said, mate, you rock. And he said, 
so do you, old fella. Keep it up. Now, I've puddled up just talking about that. And I, I think all of us that heard you tell that for the first time did as well. Um, you know, That's the, the spirit of Australia. Yeah, it is, truly. Uh, the, the saddest thing is that 24 hours later, we have a very different situation that's even today, is I would say, has escalated even further. Um, well, I wasn't able to get too many details from Michael because he was in the thick of it, uh, but I understand there's, there's forced removals uh, going on and some confrontation with the police. So he wasn't able, to, obviously, to talk about that live on air, why, he was, uh, yeah, why he was trying to defend the line there. So, you know, would you be able to tell us what happened the next day? So that you, I know you left Canberra, uh, but there was a, a couple of incidences, I guess, when they tried to clear the camp. Yeah, look, there, there, was, um, there, there was some provocative incidents at the camp camp was very peaceful. I, I went there and spoke to the people before Michelle and I left to go home. We were sad to leave because these people coming to Canberra, they're, they're our family now. They're not, they're not rednecks. They're not anti-vaxxers. They're pro-choice and they're, they're pro-freedom. And, um, and so it's very hard to leave the energy of that kind of a group. But, you know, uh, all these groups, when, when you have a country that's fractured as much as Australia is, you have people representing different groups with different agendas and, and, you know, that's true on both sides of the, of the police line. Um, it's very true of both sides. And from what I can gather, the police came to take down the number plates of cars who were parked illegally on the ground. And when I left, I thought there'd been a permit issued for the, for the guys to park there. But anyway, uh, and of course, somebody stood in front of the number plate of his car because he didn't want the number taken and he was that led to a kerfuffle. Uh, I then believe somebody was taunting, a lady was taunting the police um, and that led to a shove and that led to an arrest and before we knew it we had a circle of police around. I believe an elderly couple were manhandled and uh, injured which is an absolute disgrace and sadly after telling you that story of what happened to me, my interaction with the police that day, uh, sadly there were other types of personalities in the police force and I, I call them thugs. I can understand someone getting upset when they're being pushed and spat at and all that sort of thing. But there was a scene in a, in a video clip that Michael took of two police officers chinking two cans of pepper spray together like they were celebrating they just kicked the goal and they were going to have a party. And that just inflamed the crowd. Uh, it didn't do any good at all. People were pepper sprayed. Uh, people were injured. An elderly man was injured badly. An elderly woman was pushed to the ground. And that kind of thuggery destroys community policing. It really does. So for every for every one of the good guys on, in the blue line, there's someone who's a bit of a thug. And these guys were there. They were all bulked up. Some of them were like special operations group. From what I saw on the video... So they're like tactical no response guys, right? These are like tactical yeah, response yeah. unit, yeah. I think so. And there's no need for it because these people are peaceful. Um and, and they just, they're there at their seat of government to tell their government they're not happy. And the last I heard, we're still allowed to protest peacefully in our cities. And we're on federal country, we're on federal ground. A federal jurisdiction applies to people who are there. We have a right to be there. Hmm. And, um, but, you know, I hope that this doesn't escalate into something really bad. Uh, a lot of people are moving to alternative campgrounds. People coming into Canberra are going to alternative campgrounds. And to my, from my heart, I say to people, um, where we camp's not all that important. I understand that we've got to hold our ground sometimes. But what's important that we get as many people safely 
to the rally events that are being organised, and that uh, and that that's where that's where we get our message across in peace and harmony, uh, without violence and without alternative agendas. We just want the mandates dropped, and we want our kids protected. Um, and that's it. we want to go back to work. Yeah, yeah. Now I've been in. Uh plenty of camps in spots that they weren't supposed to be in <laughs> trying to stop things as well and uh yeah i've got to say that that uh, that story is is not new at, at all um there is many a time when uh, yes police have used violence to uh, to move people who are in a spot they didn't like um and it, it's ordered it's, it's coming from above as well i would like yeah. to add um so can you tell us a little bit more about this sacking of the um, the, the emergency workers that you were talking about? Because that, that's an oh, look, interesting one. Um, Scott, not only not only they've been sacked, a lot of them have been issued with letters saying that they were terminated for uh, for, um, uh, for for mis- for gross misconduct because they refused to go along with the mandate. Now, gross misconduct. Um, I've interviewed a lot of frontline nurses. Um, and they have told me their story. I've spoken to many doctors who've been completely deregistered for misconduct. Uh, one who had a unique medical specialty, in, uh, he was a surgeon in uh, Melbourne. He not only lost his practice, he had to fire 13 of his staff, and he wrote a heartfelt message to me saying, please pray for my patients as there is no one to replace me. I will never practice medicine in Australia again. Um, so well, I'm also in... Uh, I'm an honorary member of the Australian Firefighters Alliance. There's, there's an allegiance between people in uniform. And I have spoken to firefighters who've been terminated, and I tell you, some of them are suicidal. Now, why are they suicidal? Because that is their dream job. They, they have a heart to serve. They have been in the trucks, at the emergencies, pulling the broken bodies out of the cars, pulling the kids out of the burning houses. It's what they dreamed that they would be uh, when they were when they were little kids, and that's been completely destroyed from them, and they're decimated, and they've been fired. Um, it's heartbreaking to talk to these people. So these terminations are happening because sensible, well-trained individuals with a high intellect, as most of the people in these careers are, they cannot give informed consent under a prime minister who says that we live in a country where we must give informed consent. Yeah, so we have a situation as well, like in Canada. I don't, I don't know if you know a bit of my history, um, Graham, is that I am a dual Canadian citizen, Australian citizen, and I lived in Canada for 25 years. So yep. I've got a lot of friends there that are, um, you know, p- part of what's going on there. They're giving me boots on the ground information. They're sharing with me um, their experiences. And, you know, the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, was openly on um, news programs acknowledging that that there was a trampling of human rights taking place, but that it was yep. justified because of the pandemic, because of the emergency situation. So, you know, this this is something that's becoming, I guess, more and more prevalent. Where even though we have a human rights act, especially in the ACT, we have a human rights act. Uh, you know, it's 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 there, but it's being ignored, willfully ignored. Um, and you've got a situation where, you know, what recourse do people have other than civil disobedience? And as you've said, this is a very peaceful protest that's been uh, from the very beginning. Um, you know, you've stated that repeatedly. And, you know, we're here we are speaking to you. We've, we've spoke to Michael earlier. We've met many people involved in this movement. And, and these are 
average people. These are ordinary people who've probably never yep. been involved in activism in their entire lives until now. Like this is their line in the sand that they've reached. Yep. And yep. it's not as the protesters have been tarred. You know, like if you look at how the mainstream media has been reporting, how, um, you know, all of the um, associations that have been given, like they're calling the Canadian protest far-right extremists, white supremacists. I mean, you know, a lot of the people I know involved in this are probably quite left-leaning. What, if you considered them politically, would be fairly left-leaning. And, you know, they're yoga instructors and they're people who yeah. have organic farms and, they're, you know, people who've also suffered um, through other government legislation as well. This is, you know, just the last straw for a lot of them. And it's yeah. right now in Ottawa today. I looked at the temperature. It's minus 21 degrees there and snowing. Wow. And they're out there, and they're out there doing their thing. So people don't choose to go out in this sort of weather to go out and have confrontations with law enforcement to, you know, to be under threat of arrest or losing their possessions just on a whim. You, you, yeah. you know, you have to be called to this. This is something that has to be yeah. intrinsic um, in, in your sense as a human being, your need to do this. So this, this is where I guess we could get in a little bit into the philosophy of what this movement is about. I know that before you came to Canberra, um, you said there were some basic minimum requests that were going to be made, um, you know, on behalf of the protest, what the protest was actually asking for. Could you run through that with us a little bit, Graham, just about the philosophy and, and what what the uh, the convoy was asking for in coming to Canberra? Okay, well, I can talk about what my requirements are and, and um, as an Australian citizen, and, and I'm pushing my view, and a lot of people who follow me agree with me, um, there are some agendas out there where they want to completely scrap the whole political system and, and get rid of the parliament and everything and go back to the way the sovereign people live. And that is just the thought of doing that, for me, in my heart, would be beautiful, honestly beautiful. Chaotic to get there, but to just live without this oppressive government um, clamping down. I mean, I'm, I've made comments like, I feel like I need to extend the shed that I live in to accommodate all the bureaucrats that want to be in my life. Um, so we, we just, we're desperately over-governed and we need to get back to basics. So you go from from one end of the scale where we're going back to the, the way the sovereign peoples um, managed our country a whole lot better than we did. We've got to be honest. Um, and the, even their form of government was much better. There was much more respect. To go from there to where, where we are at this moment in Australia, there's so much we've got to do. But the first thing we have to do before we even start that conversation is the first thing is open the borders. The borders must never be closed. Constitutionally, they're not allowed to be, according to the Australian Constitution. I should be able to go to Perth and visit my, my stepkids and my grandkids over there whenever I like, but we haven't seen them for three years. We need to stop um, the mandates. Cut the mandates out. There's no no need for them. There's scientific evidence around the world that's not being funded by by Big Pharma and other organisations, the World Health Organisation, is all independent and it's all saying this is rubbish. We've got to end lockdowns. We've got to stop that rubbish. We've got to stop mask mandates. We have to get our jobs back, get the people back to work, the people who, who aren't complying because they cannot give informed consent under law, get them back to work, and nothing on the kids. We're there to protect the kids. I said that last because it's vitally important that all of this is about focusing on our kids. Not only that they not be happy if, they, if their parents don't want them to, but mainly 
because their freedoms, the freedoms we're giving away now, they're going to be burdened with the lack of in their future, and we can't allow that to happen. And that, for me, is the bottom line. Absolutely. Um, you know, and this is something that I think most people intrinsically can understand if they would step away um, for a moment from just listening to certain streams of information and do some uh, information and research gathering and then make an informed decision. You know, this is one of the reasons why we wanted to have you and Michael on the show. Um, our show is, uh, for a long time has also been very focused on giving a voice to the people that the mainstream media don't like to touch. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really important for us to, to get a balance of information out there so people can make you know, make informed decisions about what's going on. Now, we do yep. have um, a couple of listener questions that came in. Would you be okay yep. if I ask you those? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So one of the questions we've got coming in from Queensland who said it's actually illegal to discriminate in Australia based on race, religion, sex and medical choices. So how are they getting away with this and where is the Human Rights Commission on all of this? Well, you know, you need to talk to a lawyer about that, but from what I can see, we don't really have a human rights bill that's worth anything. In fact, I don't think we have one at all. Um, no, I we don't have any rights, no. <laughs> we don't. I understand that the Australian Constitution is the highest law in the land, and it's meant to protect us. Now, there's Section 19, I think Section 52A, they all refer to no medical conscription and no border closures. Now, those things protect us from, from rogue state, uh, state premiers. Uh, who, who are, to be honest with you, these guys fit all, you know, we're talking about, especially the Labor ones, for goodness sake, <laughs> that they represent everything that is in the definition of a psychopath. Everything. And a narcissist. You know, their behaviour is identical. If you were married to Daniel Andrews or um, or, or, or McGowan or, or someone like that, you would have grounds to say, look, I'm not being married to you anymore because you're, you're an abuser. So we have these situations so where the law is being jumped on by orders from medical bureaucracy. They're orders, they're not laws. So our laws have been flushed down the toilet and been replaced by orders issued by people who are doctors, yes, but they're doctors in in, um, in uh, public health. They're not. They're doctors in public health administration. I mean, um, the, uh, the CMO up in uh, Queensland, there's now the governor up there, Jeanette Young. Dr. Jeanette Young is a doctor of public health administration. Now, you put her up against someone like Peter McCullough, who is kicking serious butt at knocking this disease into the into the sixes, and she wouldn't stand a chance. She wouldn't be able to even debate with him. So our laws are being our laws are being pushed under the carpet and replaced with orders which have no basis in law. And and and, and uh, there are legal situations being enacted, such as emergency emergency powers are being enacted for something that is really... I've had COVID. I haven't been vaccinated. I treated it prophylactically. I took ivermectin as a prescribed drug that I got before it was banned. And my wife and I, both in the in the senior age group, who had comorbidities with serious asthma, we got through it no worse than a bad flu. We look at the, the death rates around the world to this, and it doesn't warrant being a pandemic. Is it contagious? Yes. Is it hyper-deadly? No, because 98, 99% of people survive. And yet Trudeau says we've got to do this in Canada, as Morrison does, because of the situation. But back when AIDS was the, was the epidemic that was killing so many gay men, 
it did, it was that wasn't a public health order then. There were there were no orders. There were there were horrible recommendations from health departments not to go near people in, in gay situations and things like that. Disgusting stuff that was done. And where, where were we? Where were we with our public health orders when? when uh, men were dying of AIDS. No, because back then it was not politically correct to even talk about this subject. So mm-hmm. we're seeing we're seeing mainstream media fear porn and we're seeing uh, we're seeing uh, discrimination and other agendas creeping in. This has got nothing to do with health. This is all about control. And until the country is forced to realise that legally, we're gonna that's why we're gonna have to keep rallying. Mm. And you know you know, my hat's off to you. Graham or Hoodie, as I know you prefer to be called. Um, The other question we have is from someone, I'm I'm sure this is a sentiment that a lot of our listeners are sharing, asking about yourself and Michael and the other people involved in this movement. Where do you find your inner reserves of strength to face that fear square on and keep fighting? I love that question. Uh, You know, the the one common thing, I'm puddled up, (laughs) the one common thing that most of the guys I'm at the front line with share Johnny Larder and people like that, and Christian Mack and um, these other guys. They all, we all share the same thing. It's just a love of God. And um, I spent most of my life as an atheist, and it was 15 years ago I realised that, that a man I never knew 2,000 years ago died on a cross so a filthy porn addict like I used to be could have a second chance. And, uh, and I've been following him ever since. And a lot of people saying, we're following you to Canberra, and I tell them, well, don't follow me. I'm a follower, I'm not a leader, I'm following Jesus Christ to Canberra because I believe that's where he wants me to be and I'm called to do that. So I am exhausted, I am afraid. I admit it, I made a video post this morning which is about to go out and I cried half the way through it. Uh, I'm afraid of what I'm going into because I don't know what's awaiting us. Uh, I'm absolutely exhausted and then somebody gives me a message that tells me that they're still alive because they heard me speak. And uh, God converts that message into energy, and that's why I'm driving the camera. Mm. Well, thank you. Thank you on behalf of, of us here at the studio and our listeners. And if we have listeners who would like to get involved, um, who would like to offer support or would like to um, follow your social media, how could they do that, Hoodie? Uh, well, we've, there's a wonderful group called Hoodie Selfers. It was set up not by me, but by people around me who wanted to support people in need. Uh, it's, there's a Facebook page, Hoodies Helpers. Um, there's um, uh, my my social media page. I'm still on Facebook. I don't know how they haven't t- they haven't touched me. Yeah, uh, I think yeah, there's a bit of magic from upstairs happening there. Oh, it is, and you know, and I'm pushing that message. Of, uh, my message is really about welfare and rebuilding community for resilience. And uh, so my Facebook page was named by somebody else for me. It's called Graham Hood Motivational Speaker. And I believe I've got telegram pages and other things happening that are being run by, for me by other people. And uh, I, I have no technical expertise. And somebody said to me the other day, you've got nearly 100,000 followers. And I didn't know whether that was good or bad. Like, I'm just a dummy. Um, I'm, not in, I'm not in this for followers. I'm, I'm not in it for likes. But, you know, there's lots of ways people can, can follow what we're doing. And, um, but I, I, if I can, if I can put out a plea to everybody coming, apart from being peaceful and respectful, I've got a plan germinating in my head that is beautiful, and I think it may be a game changer, so I'm asking anybody who's going to attend the rally tomorrow, any frontline worker who's lost their job, or hasn't lost their job, anybody who's worked in medicine, in the hospitals, in the police, ambulance, fire brigade, 
an aviator or people that worked in the airlines, anyone who's worn a uniform in the, in the daily, uh, daily execution of their trade that they've now lost, uh, to come with some item of that uniform to the rally in Canberra tomorrow. I don't know the exact organisation of the rally tomorrow, but there is a special, a very special event planned near the old Parliament House tomorrow that will take about 20 minutes, which is a reading of a declaration that has been beautifully put together. And then from there, after that 20 minutes or so, I think people will be proceeding up to the top of the lawn, uh, below the main, the new Parliament House. And my request to anybody who's following me, don't look for me on the forecourt of the Parliament House, the new Parliament House. I will not set foot on there. Um, I will not provoke anyone to set foot up on the uh, new Parliament House grounds. I will be staying on the grass across the road. Um, we don't want anything happening like what happened in the Congress in America, for whatever reason. Uh, we have to act in, in respect. We have to keep down the language. We have to act in respect because we're being watched by a media that's looking for excuses to label us all as idiots. Mm. So um, I've got a plan for that. So if you've got any part of your uniform, please bring it along tomorrow because I'll be asking you to do something. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join us this morning, Hoodie, and for doing that while you were um, in transit to Canberra. So we really appreciate that. We're right out of time on the show and we yep. look forward to hearing more from you again. So thank you again. Thank you, guys. God bless you for being the voice for freedom. You're welcome. <laughs> You have been listening to an episode of A Line in the Sound, the podcast made by Co-ops, Commons and Communities Canberra, Co-Canberra for short, the New Economy Network of Australia, or NINA, and Radio Behind the Lines from Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM in Canberra, Australia. Co-Canberra is working towards a cooperative commonwealth. Our work builds strong communities, extensive commons, and a network of climate cooperatives. The New Economy Network of Australia is a network of individuals and organisations working to transform Australia's economic system so that achieving ecological health and social justice are the foundational principles and the primary objectives of the economic system. Behind the Lines has been running for well over 30 years on Canberra's oldest community radio station, 2XX. We do extended interviews with anyone who's trying to make the world a better place. All three are volunteer-run, so if you like what you heard on this episode, join us and become the media. To join up with the New Economy Network of Australia, sign up at neweconomy.org.au. To help out with Behind the Lines, or to help our editing team finish off a mountain of good Australian New Economy info, which includes editing training, contact us at behindthelines98.3 at gmail.com and see 2XXFM.org.au where you can subscribe, donate and volunteer to Australia's only alternative voice, Community Radio. If you're not in Canberra, there's definitely one near you. To help out with CoCanberra, contact us at info at cocanberra.org.au That's C-O-C-A-N-B-E-R-R-A dot org dot A-U or come along to our monthly meetups, which we share with Nina Canberra Regional Hub, where we explore any and all aspects of the new economy. Find out what we're up to at cocanberra.org.au. And finally, if you want to help fund me, Scotty, to go full-time with this and lots of other related work, look up LiberaPay, L-I-B-E-R-A-P-A-Y, and search for Community Supported Scotty. From there, you can find out about all my other projects and donate to help create a new appropriate economy. Thanks.